All right, today's an exciting day. We are going to baptize several people, but before we do that, I want to just share with you just a few brief thoughts about what the gospel is and what you are going to see on display today in water baptism. If you are a kid like me that grew up in the 70s and early 80s and uh, at any time during that time watched a Monday night football game or any major sporting event, you undoubtedly saw in the end zone of those games a rather peculiar, crazy guy with a big afro hairdo in the late 70s that he usually had colored in streaks with a rainbow and he was holding up a sign that had on it probably the most well-known verse in the bible whether you're a christian or not a christian and that sign is john 3:16, and that verse is just the one verse that i'm going to read today and then i want to explain to you very briefly four words out of that verse that help us summarize the gospel now boys and girls i know that you're in here And I'm glad that you're in here. And parents, it is okay if your kids squirm and wiggle a little bit. I was a children's pastor once, and so wiggling and squirming does not intimidate me. (laughs) Or that. All right, awesome. But I do, boys and girls, I want you to listen to me, because what you're going to hear today is very, very important. In fact, it's the most important thing. It's the most important piece of information in the world. It's called the gospel which is a word that means the good news. John 3.16 says this, and we have it on the screen for you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want to summarize the good news of the gospel for you by giving you four words and explaining to you and unpacking those four words very briefly. Those four words are God, man, Christ, and response. In the American church culture, we have very tragically reduced the gospel down to pithy little statements that work on bumper stickers and coffee cups and t-shirts. It's things like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, there are certainly elements of truth in that, but friends, that is not the entirety of the gospel. The gospel begins not with us and not with our lives and not with what God can do for us, but in fact everything, the scriptures, the Bible, and everything that exists begins with God because God is the center and the summation of everything. God existed eternally, preexistent before time began. And friends, by the way, if you struggle with understanding difficult biblical concepts and doctrines, I am right there with you. Just explain to me the beginning of God. There is no beginning. How can that be? Just the fact that we cannot explain God, to me, is evidence that he is the creator and we are the created. But everything, everything that exists was created by a good and gracious, eternal, loving, sovereign, good creator who created this world not so that this world could be loved by him primarily, but so that this world and everything in it would display his glory. God is the only entity, person, being, reality that can show himself off and make himself the center of everything without being an egomaniac. God is about his glory far more than we can even imagine or understand. And his glory is always for 
the good of his creation. And so God, in his eternal wisdom, creates this world and everything in it. And as the pinnacle of his creation, he created the second word that we have there, which is mankind. That's you and me. From Adam and Eve until every person that lives on this earth today, he has created us. Out of his joy, out of an overflow of his goodness and kindness, so that he would be more glorious and so that we would receive joy and wonder and awe in him, he created us. But friends, tragically, we all, from Adam and Eve until us now, we have all rebelled against God and we have spurned the offer of sufficiency and joy and completeness that is God. From our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, we, we shattered that relationship through our rebellion. And friends, this is very hard for relatively moralistic Americans to apprehend and own for themselves. But all of us, whether we are terrorists who are plotting attacks on the West and the Middle East, or whether we are self-righteous little church kids that grow up in the Bible Belt, all of us, the Bible is clear about this. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, please just trust me and take my word for it that the biblical witness is clear that every human being, every human being is fallen and has rejected and has rebelled against God and is a thief for glory. We have tried to steal God's glory and make it our own. The goodness that he poured out on us was solely meant so that we would reflect it back to this universe and display how good God is. But all of us, whether we are blatant, vile sinners, or whether we are self-righteous, moralists, all of us have desired in some way or another to absorb this goodness from God so that it would terminate on us. We are all of us, all of us, church kids and terrorists, are glory thieves. And our thievery of the glory of God brings with it, friends, consequences. That verse that we read implies that consequence, does it not? Consequence. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. If there's a possibility not to perish, if you believe in Jesus, then obviously the conclusion is is that those that do not believe in Jesus do perish. The consequences of stealing the glory of God is eternal separation from him forever. And all of us are under the weight of that judgment and separation and consequence in our sin. Friends, that word perish does not mean that we cease to exist when we die, as many people falsely believe. That word perish there and in the balance of the rest of the Bible means an eternal separation from God forever, as Jesus puts it in Mark chapter 9, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There are only two realities. For every human being in this earth and in this room, and that is a real heaven and a real hell. And in response to that helpless dilemma, because not only is our consequence that we are separated from God forever when we're in our sin, but another consequence of that is we are spiritually dead and completely unable to save ourselves. There is no amount of good works that I could do. There's no amount of personal reform. There's no amount of spiritual grit that I could grip my teeth with and make myself better. There is no way that any person in this room or across the world from the beginning of creation, there are no amount of good works that we could do to make compensation for our offense against the sovereign creator of everything. And so in response to the helplessness 
and the complete inability of mankind. That brings us to the third word of this four-word explanation of the gospel, and it is Jesus. God sends Christ as God in the flesh. Jesus wasn't God's backup plan. The Trinity wasn't up in heaven thousands of years ago when Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden and said, Oh, gosh, what do we do now? Holy Spirit, Jesus, you guys go come up with a plan. I'll think about it. Let's meet back here in 30 minutes and let's come up with something. No, that's not how it went down. The Bible is clear that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world, friends. That means that our fall and our rebellion in a mysterious way that we cannot understand did not sneak up on God. But God in his gracious goodness provided a way for the fall that he knew would happen. Now that does not make God culpable for our rebellion in any way. Again, that is a mystery. But it means that God in his goodness to display his glory allowed things to go the way that they should go, knowing that it would go that way. And from eternity past, planned to send Jesus as his son. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, that when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God saw fit in his goodness, that the time was right, he sent his son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, to live amongst us and be just like us. Jesus had a body like we do. He was born. He had a, a little, a little eight-month, nine-month-old body just like Ruby This baby that you saw today, he grew up, he was a toddler, he was a young boy, he went to school, he was educated, he had to rub elbows with punk kids in junior high, he he had to do that, he he probably was picked on, he he had to suffer through economic recessions, and he had to wonder where his next meal would come from on occasion. He went through, as the Bible says in Hebrews, every temptation like we have yet, and friends, this is one of the most important sentences in the world, yet... Without sin, the Bible says. Jesus lived on this earth 33 years. He lived facing everything that we faced, but he faced it victoriously. He overcame temptation, every manner of temptation. There is nothing that you are going through in this room today that Jesus has not endured and faced and conquered through his life on this earth. Oh, friends, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He identifies with every deep recess of your mind. Because he's felt the weight of it and he endured it. The Bible then says when he was 33 years old that he voluntarily laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice. The biblical word is propitiation. We don't hear it much because it's kind of an older word. But it's an important word. And it means that Jesus absorbed the justice and the wrath and the fury of a righteous God's anger against our glory thievery. He laid down his life on a cross and he became a sacrifice, a substitute. Now why is it so important that he lived a perfect life? Because that made his sacrifice on the cross acceptable. It made it worthy to die the death that we should have died because he lived the life that we did not live. And Jesus became a perfect sacrifice. He became a sacrifice that absorbed, it satisfied the justice of a holy and righteous Father. As the prophet Isaiah says, as the Father, it was His will to crush the Son on the cross, to exhaust His anger for the thievery of glory that all of you and me have participated in. And so human sin is atoned for on the cross by Jesus' perfect 
voluntary, sacrificial, substitutionary death that should have been ours. Friends, you know this well. That's not the end of the story because several days later, Jesus, proving himself to be God, came back from the grave. He came back from the dead. And by the way, that sort of solves everything for me. I don't believe the Bible because we might find Noah's Ark somewhere in the Middle East or because some, uh, some sheep herder 40 years ago stumbled across some sea scrolls in the Dead Sea and found them in a cave and it matched up with the fragments of the Old Testament that we have today. I mean, that's helpful. Uh, you know, it encourages me. I, I like archaeology. We don't, I don't believe in the Bible because we have 25,000 fragments of the original uh, New Testament text from the early centuries compared to like the next book of antiquity, uh, the Iliad, Homer's Iliad, where we only have 5,000. I don't believe in the Bible because of the amazing and undeniable historical and archaeological evidence. I believe in the Bible and I believe Christianity because there was a man named Jesus who was God who came back from the dead. And if you come back from the dead... <laughs> That sort of settles it. You're God. Only God does things like that. And so he was victorious over sin and death. And now he offers new life to those that will repent and believe. And that brings us to the last word of this four-word explanation of the Gospels. And friends, if you have not, you haven't been tracking with me now, please track with me right now because this is so important. Everything that I've said, many, many, many people believe. In fact, even the demons believe. The Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe in everything I just told you, and they shudder and they tremble. But believing in that does not, just agreeing with those facts does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is responding to that truth. The verse that I read earlier from John 3.16 says that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word belief right there where John uses it and where it's used in the rest of the Bible, carries with it more than just the agreement of a set of facts. It means that you put the weight of your life, you trust in Christ. And inherent in that belief, it means that you go to Jesus. You go to Jesus and you leave where you are. It carries with it two notions. That word is repent and believe. It means that you leave, you make a decision to turn from self-reliance and self-righteousness and our glory-thieving ways, and we go to Christ recognizing that His grace has opened up our hearts and minds and given us the ability to receive Him. And so responding in Jesus, repenting and believing is what makes you a Christian, not raising your hand, not responding to an emotional youth camp service, not filling out a card, not joining a church, not being water baptized, this is how you become a Christian according to the scriptures. Repent and believe in Jesus. Repent and believe in Jesus. And when you truly do that in genuineness of faith, when God gives you the faith that then you respond to him with, the Bible says that you become a new creation and that then your life will necessarily begin to give evidence of your salvation. So where there are no work, where there is no fruit of salvation, there is very likely no root of salvation. In order to make sure that we are Christians, we need to know that our life is giving evidence of our newfound love in Jesus. And that's what it is to respond because it's not just a one-time decision. It is a life that is now lived for the gospel. And part of that response, friends, is water baptism where we display that Christ has done this for us and we proclaim to the world 
that we have been made new in Christ. Friends, before we baptize these 11 people, I'm going to pray. And if you have never responded to Jesus, today could be the day that you repent and believe. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come down or fill out a card. I'm going to ask you to repent and believe. The Bible says that salvation is from the Lord. Do you have ears to hear today? Jesus says in Mark and Matthew in the parable of the sower, let him who has ears to hear, listen. Has this tugged on your heart? Has this pricked you? Has this just become alive to you? Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you have never truly responded to Jesus, respond to Jesus now by repenting and believing. As I am praying, you can say, Jesus, I realize that I have been self-reliant. I have stolen your glory. I have rebelled against you. Even in my self-righteousness, I have rebelled against you. And I now believe that what Jesus did on the cross alone is for me. You can do that right now as I pray. Lord, as we celebrate water baptism today, and as we take joy in the goodness that you have shown us in these past five years, all of that means nothing unless we understand the gospel, unless we understand that you alone provided a way back for us. It's not a little bit of our good works not a little bit of our effort and then you kind of meet us halfway you did it all on the cross and you call all men everywhere in fact the bible says that you command all men everywhere to repent so jesus right now your call to repent and believe in the cross is going out in this room and it is hitting a dead heart and it in itself brings with it life and so god would you cause somebody to be born again as first peter says to be born again by the word of the truth the gospel and friends if that is you right now you need to repent and believe if you're doing that i would love to speak to you after church today and give you some uh, encouragement on how to live for jesus but repent and believe friends are you already a christian take this moment to give God praise for your salvation. That without Christ, you were hopeless, you were cut off, you were a glory thief that was under judgment. Most American Christians do not truly understand this. We need to understand that God is holy and just. And He provided a way back to Himself only through the cross. So Father, would you now let the truth of the gospel settle in our hearts And let our praise rise to the top as we glory in the cross of Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.